Heavenly Father, it's been such a blessing to hear from you, from different speakers, to be blessed with the Word of God and the music that angels play. We just, we just put ourselves in your hands this morning asking that you would communicate with our hearts yet one more time. We need you every moment of every day, and we want to be a blessing to the people around us as well. And so all of this combined, we need you. That's it. Thank you for being our God in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, morning by morning, we've been meeting together, looking at what it means to be a medical missionary. This will be our last study on that topic. Um, I have two more uh, talks this week, but they're not going to be directly on the topic of medical missionary work, but it is going to be so this morning. And this morning, I want to begin with a little quotation from uh, Councils on Health, page 540. The work of the true medical missionary is largely a spiritual work. Implied in this is that it's possible to do medical missionary to do medical work and to just deal with the body, the physical ailments of a person, and not concern ourselves as we ought with the spiritual aspects of the person's life. Our work is mostly a spiritual work, and the physical is a blessing for sure. That, that's what they need, and many times we reach them, their hearts, through the work we can do for their physical. But the main goal, of course, is to touch their hearts with salvation in the full sense of the word. Now, there's three reasons for that, and we're going to look at them one by one. Reason number one, I find in uh, Councils on Health again, page 324. Sickness of the mind prevails everywhere. Tell me about it. <laughs> it's just amazing. Nine-tenths of the diseases from which men suffer have their foundations here. Here is where? In the mind. That's what it says. But you know, you have to be careful about this thing this morning because it's not saying that when you have a disease that it's just in your head. I think very many times there are physicians who might want to tell you it's in your imagination. It isn't true. You don't have the disease. It's in your head. But it isn't so. this is not what it's saying. The disease that it's talking about here is real. But the cause of the disease is faulty thinking. It is diseased imaginations. And so, uh, just in, in the last few years, at least, what I've gotten acquainted with CBT. Do you know what that is? Cognitive Behavioral um, Therapy. Well, apparently, it is possible to lie to ourselves, right? About ourselves, to the point where we believe ourselves when we tell ourselves lies about ourselves. And a lot of people go around telling themselves that they are no good, that they are worthless, that they're useless, and on and on and on. Because they've made a few mistakes in their lives, they go on with a long face until it destroys them. And they become sick over this thing. Well, you don't have to become sick. And I can prove it because of the price that God paid to have us. He doesn't think we're worthless. It's cost him everything, and he wants us at that price, and that value is imputed unto us that way. So I had you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 23, and we're going to look at just the first part of verse 7. It's a verse that you know very well. For as he thinketh, that is, as a man thinks, or as a person thinks in his heart, so is 
He. So there you are. How we think and very often the things we allow our minds to think about or to dwell upon will create in us health or disease. Just that way. Positive thinking, of course, will produce positive results. Negative thinking will produce negative results as far as health is concerned. So think positively already. Don't you think? Yeah. Is there any reason to think positively? If there's any reason at all in this world, it should be found in this room, don't you think? If we as a people know our God, then isn't that a positive thing? And isn't he not a good God? If we could see God as our friend, is he? Yes, he is. Why is there some people who look at God as an enemy or, or as someone that's coming after them to punish them for one thing or another? Or they look at something negative that happens in their lives and all of a sudden, is why is God treating me this way? But God isn't treating us this way. And whatever it is that comes our way, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Isn't that true? Yes, yes. Last night I had the opportunity with Amy to give a Bible study to uh, five ladies at a drug rehabilitation place. Uh, I don't know exactly what you call it. Yes. <laughs> That's where it was. Oh, we had a wonderful time. But this is what we talked about. I gave a Bible study on all things working together for good and told stories. We had a fantastic time. And the reason I do that is because that concept is wonderful. It's amazing. We have a God that is a friend. And whatever the devil can throw at us, he can take it and turn it to our advantage. It's an amazing thing. We don't have any reason to be pessimistic. However, there are plenty of pessimistic people, and you can recognize them fairly easily. So, if we live with eternal realities in mind, we have every reason to be optimistic. But if we focus our sights on temporal realities, well, you live in a world that is very, very, very negative. Uh, let me tell you, if you spend any time listening to the news, and I happen, I, I don't know why, but I happen to like to listen to the news. And you know what? I'm beginning to think that's nonsense. I mean, to listen to the news is, is, just, is just discouraging. There's so much negativity in this world. Now it's true. The Holy Spirit is being grieved away from the world. And so because the Holy Spirit is being grieved away from the world, the crimes are becoming worse and worse and more atrocious. And, and, and it is so cruel out there that it's enough to discourage anyone if you focus there. But just because the Spirit of God is being withdrawn from the world, he's not being withdrawn from me, is he? Oh, I hope not. No, and I have every reason to be positive and to quit the complaining and the criticizing and the moaning and the groaning because we have a living God. We can afford to have a sweet disposition. And with a sweet disposition comes an increase of health. In any case, our health will reflect our state of mind. Now, we don't want to be imbalanced. There are other reasons for being sick of course, and so if someone is sick among you, don't, don't go assuming that it's their state of mind. But nine-tenths of the time, it is. <laughs> Just the same. There's a Dr. Swain of uh, Harvard Medical School found that in many cases of arthritis, there was either home trouble or malice in the heart or resentment or lack of forgiveness or something very, very negative. Now, uh, brothers and sisters, listen. The arthritis is real. But the cause is 
from stress that's caused by home troubles or malice in the heart or resentment or lack of forgiveness or something negative in, in the life. The cause originated with the improper thinking or in the pro improper focus. And so we need to learn to focus on what is positive. So this, this Dr. Swain, would, when he would get patients with arthritis, he would refuse to deal with the problem right away. First of all, he would begin by giving them Bible studies before dealing with the disease. When I was at Eden Valley, I was at Eden Valley for 12 years as the president, and I reserved to myself the privilege of speaking with the lifestyle guests for 45 minutes every morning, doing a devotional with them. What a tremendous blessing that was to me. And I suspect, I hope, and I trust it, and from what the experience I've had, the, it was a tremendous experience for them also. I didn't focus on anything that was, uh, what would be the word, confrontational, you know, I mean, we could do that. We could just, just go right in and tell them about uh, all our distinctive doctrines, which is contrary to what they believe and all the rest, and cause them a whole pile of stress. Well, these people are coming to us not feeling well to begin with. There's no point adding stress to the situation. But Lord, there's a lot more in the Bible <laughs> than just doctrines, right? If we can approach the people with the promises of God and the faithfulness of God and the love of God and God himself and Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, it, it has a huge, huge impact on the lives. I've seen it. I've seen it over and over again. Now, you would think in a lifestyle center to spend 45 minutes to an hour every day with the patients would be a lot of time. They did not resent it. I had an older gentleman come. He was 85 years old, and, and he was dying. He had cancer, and most of the people who came to Eden Valley had cancer, and, and he was unhappy. His daughter and his daughter's husband were there, and they took me aside to confide in me soon after they had arrived to tell me that their father, who was a professor at an Adventist university, did not have assurance of salvation. He was scared to death of dying because he didn't know whether he would be saved or not. And so I spent, of course, every day, 45 minutes, doing a devotional with them. And when I, after I knew this, then I began to focus more and more heavily on the promises of God and the beauty of the justification that is in Christ Jesus, that the work has fulfilled, that Jesus has fulfilled that work for us in himself through the cross of Calvary, that there's no reason not to have hope in Jesus Christ. And on and on it went that way, and it just took a few days, and the man turned right around. And of course, he did die. He died while he was at Eden Valley. And then a whole family came, and one by one, they would come to me to say thank you for giving their father hope that he had died so happy because he had the assurance of salvation. Is there power in the gospel? Amen. Oh, there's power in the gospel, in the gospel story for sure. And of course, this is something more than pointing people to a higher power like we do in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, I have nothing to say against 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I think they've done a tremendous work. But we have a work that is greater than that to do. And we can not only point to a higher power and you decide what that is. No, no. The people who come to us have a need of a personal friend in God. They need this personal friend to make personal promises to them individually. They need to grasp his reality, that his reality is for them. 
And once you can establish that in the heart of an individual, God loves you and he will deal with you individually. He, he wants you in the kingdom. You know, what does the Bible say? I know the thoughts that I have towards you, thoughts of peace and not an evil of evil to give you an, an expected end or a wonderful future. God, for every individual in this room, has a wonderful future in mind for you and I. You and I, of course, need to cooperate with this and trust the Lord and keep his commandments and stay within the bounds of that which will make us happy. And if we do, it's a wonderful future, no matter how things look day by day as they develop uh, among us. Now, it's true, of course, that if I had appendicitis, I would rather have a Christian physician to deal with it. But let me tell you what, I'd rather have a pagan physician or an atheist physician to deal with it if there's nobody else around rather than to have a burst appendicitis uh, appendix um, and then die from it. As a matter of fact, it happened to me just uh, 12 months ago, June last year. I was in Kazakhstan doing a camp meeting, 33 sermons to preach. After I got through 15 of the 33 sermons, I began to feel something wrong. I, could, I didn't know what it was. And then I was up all night just suffering. It was getting worse and worse and worse. And by morning, then it was a sharp pain in this corner. <laughs> and I knew exactly what it was. And I thought, oh, I can't. You know, I have to deal with this. There's nothing I can do. Here I am in Kazakhstan. What am I going to do? So I went to the leadership of that little institution, and I said, I, I've got to go to the hospital. So they brought me to the hospital, and they dealt with it, and they were Muslim people. Ah, maybe they'll poison me, <laughs> being a Christian. Well, they didn't. I think they did a good job, actually, in the end, even though they did not have the advanced scientists, scientific, um, the last discoveries that we've done in America where you can do three little incisions this big and, and work through them and get at the, at the problem. No, no, I've got a huge thing in, anyway. It still worked. I'm alive. I'm still here to this day. It's a, it's a blessing. Yeah. If my problem is caused by wrong thinking, then... People who think wrong are not the ones who are there to help me. Can you see that? I mean, it's one thing for, an, for a, an atheist or a Muslim to take my appendix out. It's quite another thing if they have to deal with my mind and they're a Muslim or an atheist or a pagan, then how can they help me? They can't help me. And this is the, the advantage that you and I have. We are in connection with God. We are in connection with truth. We have the Holy Scriptures. And we have the Holy Spirit. And we have the Holy Angels. And He is willing, they are willing to come to our aid. And when we speak to people, we're speaking truth. Whether we're speaking truth to power or to little people doesn't matter. Truth is wonderful and it has a healing aspect to it. So we go to the second reason why the work of the true medical missionary is largely a spiritual work, and this is it. If the diseases we face are purely physical, well, friends, we still need the Lord. It's not just a matter of dealing with it on a cursory level. We cannot change ourselves, can we? And so if you have an ailment that is purely physical, has nothing to do with your thinking, still and all, except for the grace of God, we're going to perish. We need the grace of God. Can an Ethiopian change his skin? 
That's a Bible verse, right? Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 13. Can, can a leopard change his spots? No, neither can you who are accustomed to do evil do good. You cannot, you cannot change yourself. I cannot change myself. I think um, Dr. Sandoval yesterday used the verse Romans 8, verse 7. The carnal heart is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. We cannot change ourselves. And if we need to make any changes, especially lifestyle changes, then obviously we need God's grace in a, to be able to do it. Um, there was a Dr. Wilhelm Rabb that spelled R-A-A-B. Now, I don't know if I said it right, but Dr. Wilhelm Rabb said this, Prevention of heart disease requires willpower. Why do you suppose that is? Well, because in order to deal with heart disease, you've got to, disease, you've got to deal with lifestyle. That's just the way it is. Something has to change in the lifestyle if you're going to do a good job at dealing with heart disease. And so a person needs to eat differently, exercise differently, abstain from smoking, all of these things. He goes on to say, as patients, however, we are generally more attracted to willpower than to, to, uh, to pill power than to willpower. Is that true? Yeah, so it is. And so we have the pharmaceutical in industry fighting like mad to come up first with the next miracle pill in order to cure whatever, but they don't cure anything. What they do is they mask our, the symptoms and, and they give you great side effects. And then all that they're doing is trying to fill their pockets with a lot of money. By the way, do you know what it cost me in Kazakhstan to, have, to stay three days in the hospital. They wanted me to stay seven, but I was preaching at a camp meeting, and I had to get back to preaching. So I was in the hospital three days, had surgery, and all that goes with it. What do you think it cost me? $250. Yeah. How much does it cost in America to have, do you suppose, an appendectomy? Well, I don't know what it costs, but I'd be surprised if it is anywhere shy of $30,000, something like that, right? Yeah. Now, does that tell you something? How is it that they're able in Kazakhstan to do it for $250, pay the doctor, the anesthesiologist, and everyone else that's involved, and give you a hospital stay, and all the rest that goes with that? How is it that they can do it and survive at $250? 33,000 is the average. There you go. I wasn't very far, was I? Yeah, yeah. That was Oh, well, maybe it's more. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So don't tell me there's not corruption in the pharmaceutical industry and in the AMA and all the rest. AMA, I mean, and all the rest. Yeah. So the serpent came to Eve in the Garden of Eden, and he said to Eve, did God say that you shouldn't eat from this tree, and that if you eat from this tree, you're surely going to die? You shall not surely die. That's what he said. The first lie and the strong lie. And so what he meant is, go ahead. You can smoke. You can overeat. You can drink. You can do drugs. You can watch bad TV. You can under-exercise. Oh, we've got a pill for all of it. And if you'll take this pill, then the benefit you get is that you can indulge in the temptation and everything will be just fine. Is that true? Isn't it our job to expose that kind of lie? 
Yes, that's the work of the true medical missionary. The work of the true medical missionary is largely a spiritual work. Our work is there so that we can open the eyes of the people to see what is truth. Wonderful thing. Third reason, and maybe it's the most important reason of all, if we love people enough to try to add 10 years to their lives, what then do you suppose we would be willing to do if we knew that we were going to add a million, 10 million, 100 million years to their lives? What do you think? But we don't think that way, do we? Oh, no. We're focused on the here and now, and we want to add 10 years to their lives. And if we do, we, uh, we feel pride in the, our ability to achieve this thing, and it's a wonderful thing. And if we have not saved their souls, what have we achieved? It's amazing. It's amazing to me. Yeah. I was going to say something that I decided that not. <laughs> uh-huh. Our approach to life is not merely humanitarian work. We're not humanists using human resources to meet human needs. We are Christians. We have the opportunity to use human resources in conjunction with divine resources in accomplishing supernatural work. Has the Lord ever accomplished supernatural work through you? Oh, I have seen so many miracles. It's just amazing. It's just so wonderful to see it when God will do it. So natural remedies will be accompanied by God's help to accomplish supernatural results. And it's true. It's true. It's very hard to understand. You know, when you come out of the world, I came out of the world, and you think you're going to give me uh, uh, some water therapy and I'm going to be healed of cancer? doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like it's just not reasonable. It's like the children in the wilderness being asked to look at a brass serpent and say you're going to be healed if you look at this thing. Well, that doesn't make any sense at all. But that's the beauty of a God in heaven. What he says will work. So he tells us, use natural remedies, and the natural remedies will work. I was thinking of Stephen Grabner. I, I don't think you mind if I tell you this story. Anyway, Stephen Grabner, if you know, he's the president of uh, um, OCI, and he has a liver disease, which will eventually, they say, become cancerous, um, just the type of disease. He, he's a candidate for a liver transplant. In any case, that's a problem. Well, about a year, two years ago, he began having high fevers, huge fevers. So he would go to the doctor. The doctor would give him an um, uh, antibiotics, and the fever would go down for three days. And then the fever would come back. He would go back. They would try a different antibiotic, and the fever would be gone for a few days, and then he would come back. It would come back in three days. And that's how it went over and over and over again. And I took him aside and I said, why don't you go to Wildwood? Just do some fever therapy. <sighs> yeah, maybe, maybe I should, you know. But, but he went back to the doctors and more antibiotics and the same thing over and over again. Finally, at, you know, after months and months of going through this, he, he went to Wildwood and spent something like a week or something. And the fevers went away for something like three weeks. <sighs> but he went and overextended himself on a canoe trip or something like this and it came back. And so some doctors had been talking to him that if they did uh, intervenal, you know, antibiotics, that this, this will do it for sure. So off he goes doing it again, and it 
didn't work any more any better than before. And finally, I'm on his case again. It worked at 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 Wildwood, and it worked for three weeks. And if you stayed with it, go back for another week, and then keep going back every week for a day or two for more and more treatments, and it'll it'll handle the thing. The Lord has promised, you know. And finally, he did it, <laughs> and it worked. Uh, you see how gracious the Lord is? <laughs> yeah. If I was the Lord, I'd say, hey, you don't believe in me any better than that. You can just go and go back to your doctor. <laughs> but the Lord is gracious. The Lord is gracious. And his, and his um, modalities do work in spite of the fact that they don't make sense to us. But they do work. In Ministry of Healing, page 398, the highest of all sciences is the science of soul saving. Yeah, yeah. How does it compare with other sciences? Well, it's the highest. There's no higher science than that. So put yourself in a young person's shoes now. And you go, you go to uh, Southern University. That's where I'm at. I like Southern University. I like a lot of the people that are there. Everything seems to be uh, good. I don't know exactly how to judge it. I'm not there to be able to judge it. Anyway, so you're a young person and you're going to go to Southern University and then you go to your guidance counselor and you say to the guidance counselor, I want to be a medical missionary. What do you suppose the guidance counselor will tell you? Well, he'll say, okay, you can become an ophthalmologist, you can become a dentist, you can become an orthodontist, you can become a general practitioner, you can become an EBGYN, a chiropractor, a nurse, a physician's assistant, a clinical officer, a surgeon, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Now, do you know that these medical degrees will provide you with all kinds of wonderful tools that you can work, that you can use in the Lord's work? Oh, it's true. The tools are wonderful. Yeah, but it will never make you a medical missionary. No, never. It's not meant to either. In Messages to Young People, page 227, the secret of soul winning can be learned only from the great teacher. From whom? From Jesus. That's all. It comes direct. You can go to school. And by the way, I'm not trying to denigrate school here or education. I'd love to have some of the tools that some of the people come back with after they've gone and paid $100,000. That's the part I don't like. <laughs> by the way, it's amazing, but that's how it is. You know, we have a wonderful uh, accountant at, at, at OCI. He's a young man. He's only he's 32 and he's a great accountant, great, but he owes $80,000. And we can't pay the kind of money he needs, and he wants to get married, so he's going to get married next year. We can't pay him enough to stay with us. It's a tragedy. It's a huge tragedy, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So, in, uh, turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Beautiful verse. Anytime I speak of um, true education, this is my go-to verse. And this is my springboard verse. Verse 3, this is Colossians chapter 2. We're looking at verse 3. Talking about Jesus, it says, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Is that true? Where are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden? Then where do you suppose we should go to school? 
Well, we should go to the school of Christ. First and foremost. Again, that does not mean that we don't go to school in this world and we don't gain some tools by going there. But friends, if you don't go to this school, this, uh, you can go to the other schools if you want. You might make a great living while you're here in this world. But what's the point? We're here for such a short time. I don't know if some of you have ever realized how short life is. <laughs> But when you get to be my age, you just wonder where in the world time has gone. It's just all past, and I even have great-grandchildren already. It doesn't make any sense at all. None. Yeah. Oh, so there we go. Isaiah 50, verse 4. Isaiah 50, verse 4. I, um, I alluded to this yesterday, so today I thought I'd read it. It's wonderful because this is what it means to go to the school of Christ, at least one aspect of it. Isaiah 50, verse 4, and this is Jesus speaking. You know, those of you who know your Bibles well, you know this verse. Jesus says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakens morning by morning. He wakens mine ear to hear as the learned. What an experience that is to be awakened in the morning and to be guided by God for the day and to be told what to do. Do you know that if you meet a person on the street and you want to witness to that person, you may have a set speech that you're going to give, but how do you know if that set speech was going to, is going to touch their souls at all? I mean, how do you know to say the right thing at the right time in the right spirit. How can you know? You can't know. And we can't just have one speech that we give to everyone. We might hit one or two if we've talked to a hundred people that it touches their heart in some way. But do you know that But the Spirit of God, we could touch every heart because we could be guided by the Holy Spirit and we could say the right thing at just the right time in just the right spirit so as to, as to lead that individual to see something they've never seen before. What a blessing. Well, this is what Jesus was doing. Uh, so that leads us to the question, does God communicate with you? Oh, yeah. I, well, I hope so anyway. But you know, not everyone in the world has that experience. And I, I would suspect not everyone in this room has that experience. We want to be communicated to by God, don't we? And what an experience we need to have. And so Jesus, morning by morning, would go to talk to his father. He didn't know, or I think he didn't know, what he was to meet during that day. But his father was organizing life around him. He had divine appointments here and there. And the father would put in his heart and in his mind what it is that he was going to say and what he was going to do during that day. I'm going to finish off with um, thinking about Jacob. This is Patriarchs and Prophets 177 and 8. And so I'm reading from the Spirit of Prophecy, and it's talking about Jacob. And Ellen White says this, He was thoughtful, diligent, caretaking, ever thinking more of the future than the present, content to be at home, occupied with his flocks and the soil. He was patient and persevering and thrifty and foresightful. He was affectionate and gentle. Ladies, if you had a daughter, wouldn't you mind, would you mind to have this man to marry her? <laughs> I mean, wow, 
He was an amazing young man, right? Compared to his brother who was rough and ready in every circumstance and love hunting and all the right and, and living wildly. Goes on to say, same quotation, he was filled with an unmis unspeakable desire for the privileges which the birthright would confer. He wanted the right thing. God had promised it to him right from birth that the older would serve the younger. Jacob being the younger would be, would be the one to gain the birthright even though that was contrary to custom in those days. And he wanted it. He wanted it more than anything else. The spiritual birthright was the object of his longing. Here were the privileges and honors that kindled his most, most ardent desires. And while he thus esteemed eternal above temporal blessings, Jacob had not an experimental knowledge of the Lord God whom he revered. His heart had not been renewed by divine grace. In other words, he was religious. He had the right desires, but he was not born again. Isn't that amazing? And he was super nice. Now, how deceptive is that? <laughs> it was enough to deceive his own mind, right? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And so consequently, because he desired to have the birthright and the blessing and everything else, and, and these things were good, and he was a good boy, and all the rest, he ended up cheating his brother out of the birthright. He ended up conniving with his mother to lie to his father and then steal the blessing. And now, of course, he was 20 years away from home, never saw his mother again. Wow. Why did he do it that way? I mean, it didn't make any sense. God had promised him the birthright. It was his, but he just couldn't wait. He thought he had to do whatever it took to get it. Now, it's, it's okay to do everything you can to get what God has promised. Outside of sinning, and that was the problem with Jacob. He resorted to sin in order to get God's blessing. Well, it doesn't work very well. <laughs> and so he got, he, he got, he had a terrible life for, for some time anyway. But 20 years later, by the brook Jabbok, you remember, he encountered Jesus. And when he knew that he had Jesus within his grasp, what did he say? I will not let you go except you convert me. That was the intent of it. And so he needed a miracle. And friends, this is what I'm trying to say this morning. We need a, a miracle. We need to invest our energies, our prayers, our time in getting that miracle. The Seventh-day Adventist Church has been here for 175 years, give or take, since 1844. The Lord intended to purify to himself a people so that in the end, this people would enlighten the whole world with the glory of his character in them. Why are we still here 175 years later? We've only managed to replicate ourselves over and over and over again. Replicating the Laodicean lukewarmness that is the very thing we need to shed ourselves of. Don't you think? Yes. We need to invest in the miracle. One of these days, there's going to be a people, maybe there are already a people, who is pleading with God with agonizing cries, 
for the miracle that they need, the new heart that they need. This is what we want as a church. We're going to have to do something different somewhere along the way. And so for, by way of review here, there's three things that the Lord expects from us because nine-tenths of all disease originates in the mind, wrong thinking. Secondly, even if the illnesses are purely physical, still the people need the grace of God to get past this thing. And thirdly, it isn't enough to extend people's lives for 10 years. We want them to live forever. Don't you think? Oh, yes. Shall we stand? Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us again one more time. For the word of God and for the concepts that come from the Bible and for the insights that we can have into true living. Lord, we want to be true Christians. Forgive us that we have not been all that we could be. And we ask that now you would give us a new heart in the fullest sense of the word that we may be soul winners. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot org.